And we're live for another episode of Athletic Insights. Athletic Insights is a resource um, for youth sports organizations, athletes, parents, coaches looking to get a glimpse in behind the scenes of lead athletics and what it really entails. We're joined here by our guest, Aiden McParland. Aiden, how are you doing today? Hey, Zach. I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Uh, no, we appreciate it. Um, so for, for those of you at home listening, um, Aiden is another uh, local athlete, role model, academic from Brockville, Ontario. Where, where are you living now, Aiden? I'm in my condo at Young and Dundas right now in Toronto. Okay, so now he's moved up to Toronto, but uh, born and raised in Brockville. Somebody that I, uh, I personally looked up to throughout high school and, and helped, uh, helped me navigate a lot, of, uh, a lot of things here and there. So, you know, to an extent, you're probably one of the reasons that this podcast even exists. So um, wow. thank you. And why don't you just take a minute to, uh, to introduce yourself and go over your youth sports experience in Brockville. That's nice. Yeah, it's been a little while, eh? When was the last time I saw you? Maybe the YMCA and Brockville <laughs> yeah, a few, it a few yeah. years back? It's been a minute. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Brockville, uh, went to BCI, but I spent a lot of my time commuting back and forth to Ottawa, where I played soccer for the Ottawa Fury, basically since I was, I think, 11 or so. Um, and so, yeah, that was a huge part of my early sports upbringing, but tried to balance that with uh, a lot of local sports, played football and played um, tennis pretty seriously, ended up at offset for tennis and um, uh, also basketball as well. So those are kind of my core sports throughout high school. Um, and ultimately kind of decided on soccer and the pursuit of soccer in the U.S. I was torn at one point when I was quite young about actually moving to Europe to try to play soccer in Germany um, at the age of 13 and decided against that, but ended up playing um, for four years at the University of New England um, in the NCAA. And while I was down there, one of the kind of driving factors, maybe we can get into it a little bit here, to go to that specific school in New England was the access to uh, the Portland Phoenix, a team in what's called the Premier Development League. Uh, so that's one of the sort of main feeder leagues into the professional system in North America. And um, yeah, that basically was kind of the extent of my sports background, but uh, had some really difficult decisions along the way. One being kind of that decision between trying to pursue professional career after um, my premier development league career and NCAA career versus going to medical school. Uh, why don't, why don't we take a minute yeah. to go over that now? How did So how did you navigate these sort of things as far back as even... Um, you had mentioned when you were in high school, you were looking at other options as well. So how did you personally navigate your academic and athletic experience? Yeah, so I think as a kid, you know, you don't always know exactly what the best decision is to make. And so I was really lucky that I had a really good and supportive parents that not only really supported driving me to practice and helping pay for things out. Now, when I look back, was was just crazy how expensive some of the stuff was. Um, but also helping me kind of navigate decision making. And so we uh, we have family in just south of Munich in Germany. And so it was always kind of on the back of my mind whether at a pretty young age I should make that move over there and, and give soccer a pretty serious go. And I think um, the decision to not do that, I think I was 12 when we were talking about, about going over there, was um, kind of when I started to think a little bit more academically going into high school and trying to balance maybe a an NCAA type career versus uh, like a European type professional career. But I do have some friends and we can get into it if you want, who For actually sure. did make the, the jump to go over to Europe at a quite a young age. Uh, one of my friends ended up going to, to Sheffield United when he was 13. Um, and he had a really interesting career as a result of that. And one of my other friends ended up at uh, the Dusseldorf Dorse Academy 
uh, in Germany as well. I think when he was like 16 or 17, he went over there. So do, do you regret it at all? Or would you have gone over and done the same thing again? I would do the same thing that I had done again, but um, I think I've had a lot of kind of fortunate bounces and some really good support that have gotten me to a point that I'm pretty happy about in my life. But um, I definitely think that it'd be nice to be still playing sports at times, but mm-hmm. I what think you... there's ways to find it in, uh, in the rest of your life as well in a lot of, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, for sure. And we'll, we'll go over that um, later on. But uh, for now, why don't you just explain, like, what is, what's your relationship with athletics? And, and then just touch base on your recruiting process once you had decided to, to wow. focus on soccer. Big question, big question. Yeah. So um, I think as many of the listeners would probably agree, being an athlete is probably one of the most fundamental and kind of core defining principles of who I am, I think, still to this day and who I was growing up for sure. Uh, and I think it guided me basically throughout my life in a really positive way and it kept me really structured. And I... I don't think I really saw the value of the structure that um, soccer and just athletics in general gave me until I, until I really stopped playing sports at a high level and, and stopped kind of like pursuing that professional goal. Um, mm-hmm. But my mom would always say, you know, I think, <laughs> I think it keeps you out of trouble. And I didn't really understand what that meant until I looked back at, you know, how much time we put into this, everyone puts into this in high school and even younger, even when you're as old as nine years old, you know, you're mm-hmm. putting in, five, six days a week, even going for runs on your own. And you just learn a lot of, a lot of skills, I think, transfer really effectively into the rest of your life. But I do think there's um, something to be said about the structure that it provides your life. And then going into my, um, going into the, my NCAA career, basically I was really unsure if I was going to be able to balance trying to pursue kind of a, I studied kind of like a life sciences or like a pre-medical um, track with the goal to go to medical school and uh, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to balance the two things but I actually think I wouldn't have even necessarily gone into medical school if it weren't for the structure that soccer provided in my life and so mm-hmm. I think having that um, dependence on making sure that you're showing up to practice at a certain time and basically that ability to be like really committed to something from an early age just teaches you really uh, intangible life skills that can't be taught in the classroom for sure well everyone talks about like you get confidence in, in in like goal setting and stuff but what they don't talk about is um like you learn to show up on time and be accountable and 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 push yourself outside your comfort zone like there's so much more um than the face value uh that sports brings like you were kind of saying there yeah for sure yeah and and it just it goes on and on and on hopefully we can keep chatting about it i mean when I when I started in medical school, we had a, a curriculum, I forgot what it was called, it had something to do with kind of like human factors components to being a doctor. And they would try to teach us things like leadership and how to communicate on a team and and how to kind of take other people's perspectives into decision making. And it almost seemed just so redundant to me because it's just something you learn inherently by just being a part of a team. Mm-hmm. But to a lot of people, you know, that's not that's not the norm. It's not you don't really learn those skills sitting in a library. You know, you learn those skills managing conflict within a, with a group of guys in a locker room and, you know, winning together and losing together and um, being accountable for each other, you know, and the, the concept of being accountable for a team seems like a no brainer, I think to a lot of athletes, but it's, um, it's not a, something that's necessarily so universal. hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you is when you were going through your recruiting process, what drew you into New England specifically? And were you being recruited um, by other schools? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, just to give you a bit of a timeline, I think it's important to start 
considering when we when my family and I kind of started thinking about this. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I, as I mentioned, I was playing soccer for the Ottawa Fury. And so we had a little bit of support there. And there were some people a bit older than me who had gone to the U.S. as well. But there definitely wasn't a lot of support out there. And I still am not sure how much kind of free support there is out there to help guide people through this process. But I think it's something you should really start to think about early and as early as, I don't know, eighth grade or so. And essentially, um, because... that's what we're doing here, Aiden. That's the, the, the podcast here is just to give them insights to what we didn't know when we were going through this process. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's beautiful. I'm really And it's good that you're doing that because I think it's super important. And I wish I had something like this when I was going through because um, no, one really, no one really helped us as much as we probably could have used. And so things like starting really early, I mean, that sounds so obvious and cliche, but it's super important, right? So, you know, start to think about things like, um, schools you'd like to go to, you know, how to start putting together footage of, of film footage, stuff like that. You know, it takes a while to acquire enough kind of footage to put together good highlight reels. Um, starting to talk to coaches early and even just sending cold emails, you know, it sounds like a, like a strange thing to do. And you think that you're going to show up to these showcase tournaments and that someone's going to pick you out of, out of the crowd as this one in a thousand candidate. But that's just not what happens. You know, mm-hmm. people go into these showcase tournaments. Like I used to go when I was, I think, in 10th and 11th grade to down to the U.S. to play in these showcase tournaments with my team. And with I would actually go as a goalkeeper. I used to go just and play for random teams that needed a keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would do, I started doing this pretty late. I think it was like in 11th grade or even 12th grade, is I would, I would just email all the coaches that I was interested in with a highlight tape and my CV and whatever else and try to see if they would come and watch me. And I that's actually where I started to get the most kind of feedback and most. So you started the process, right? Yeah. It, yeah, Perfect. exactly. And they basically, they're not going to, it's very rare that they come to you and see you as this big standout. You know, you have to contact them most of the time first. Yeah. So I think we've had, this will be our 23rd episode, Aiden, and yeah. 95% of the athletes on the show, um, they weren't, they had to start the process. So. Yeah, um, we're starting to see a pattern. Like, I hope the younger kids can kind of see that and be like, "Wow!" Like all the all the people who have accomplished what I want to accomplish, mm-hmm. um, they started the process. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's super. It's super important. Um, and like I said, those are the kind of the three things to put together. It's a little package that makes you appealing, and then just send it out to people. You know, and absolutely, uh, I think it's super key. And put yourself out there. You know, and so I remember <laughs> my mom used to say we went to this the one that actually the showcase I actually went to that ended up being probably one of the most high yields where I chatted with a lot of the coaches that ended up being kind of my top recruiting schools like Cornell and Lehigh um the University of New England which I ended up at Amherst Williams um Wesleyan those all came from this one tournament in Philadelphia that my mom sort of like dragged me to because I think there was a, a high school party or something that I wanted to go to instead <laughs> yeah so, sacrifices uh, right yeah yeah exactly but um just making sure you put yourself out there and don't be scared to fail because it's going to happen. And don't be scared if no one shows any interest because it's just going to take a bit of time, you know, and a bit of pushing. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people give up. It's just like they don't get the instant result and then they lose. They don't believe in themselves anymore. Yeah. 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 And I think the movies portray uh, <laughs> the recruiting process as this like very uh, glorified romantic. Yeah. romantic thing. Yeah. But it's actually pretty challenging. So, so yeah, that would be something, some advice I would have for sure. And so I ended up looking at, I think I was looking at talking to and did official visits at six or seven D1 schools and then um, a couple of D3 schools as well that were just stronger academically. Uh, and then the big decision for me for at least a soccer player, I don't know, I think you've had a couple of soccer players on here as well. Mm-hmm. 
was I was still interested in trying to pursue a professional career after university, but it's pretty, it's pretty rare that it comes from um, directly the NCAA. And so a lot of the guys that I know who had done well in North America came through the Premier Development League or the PDL. And um, so at the time, Ottawa Fury had a team in the PDL. And then the, one of the best teams in the, in the Northeast was the Portland Phoenix. And so I ended up going on a recruiting visit to the University of New England and getting actually stuck there for, I think it was like two weeks because they had this terrible snowstorm and no flights oh. were leaving. And I just fell in love with the people and it felt like home and I loved the coach and I loved the academics. And uh, ultimately I also met up with the PDL team and they were really keen to kind of have me on early to, as a, as a new kind of signee with, with the team in the summer that year. And I ended up kind of starting the, I ended up choosing that school. I ended up going to the University of New England for all those factors. I thought it was going to give me the best shot at getting to medical school while also balancing the soccer career. And um, yeah, it was it was largely in part because of the ability to balance that potential for still like a professional career through the P- through the PDL. For sure. And and when did you like when did you realize that you could make all of these things like so your academic <laughs> and your athletic dreams just a reality? Because like for me specifically, there was a very sp- specific turning point probably when I was probably in grade like 11 um, and that's usually when I think a lot of kids start to make decisions for their future or mm-hmm. they don't or they don't so you kind of drift away from certain friends and it's not like a, a personal thing it's just like I'm working on these things for mm-hmm. like a, more of a long-term payout and once I started hitting the weight room and everyone started kind of noticing that and studying at lunchtime and my grades got better I realized that I could do both like I could go to university and play football and get a degree so when did you realize that you could take these, um, take soccer and your academics essentially to, because like you played NCAA soccer, you can call it semi-pro or whatever you want. You played like a very high level of soccer for a long time. Yeah. So there was definitely, there were all, there's two big decision trees. There was one um, to try to pursue uh, like a pre-med degree and also soccer. And then the other one was whether to try to pursue a professional career or, or go to medical school. And they were both pretty hard decisions, but um, I think the I realized that I wasn't really re- willing to commit fully to either one. Like I wanted to be able to try to balance both an academic uh, life and potentially a career in medicine, and I also wanted to try to continue to pursue soccer. And a lot of people actually kind of pushed me away from that. A lot of coaches, I remember with the Fury, it was one of the things I looked back and and wanted to sort of speak out against, just because I think. A lot of people said, you know, you need to really focus hard on one thing or the other, or otherwise um, you're not going to excel at either of them. And I actually think that was a, it wasn't very good advice. I think you can, I think they actually complement each other really nicely. Mm-hmm. I think, and, I think we both disagree with that. I think, yeah. Yeah. Go, go ahead, sir. Yeah, no, no. I, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think a lot of people, I think it takes a very specific type of person and I'm, and I'm not trying to to toot my own horn and and to toot your horn but it takes a specific type of person to 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 not listen to um you know a coach who might be giving like we can kind of see through what they're getting at maybe they weren't able to do school and sports but that doesn't mean we can't we have more resources and we have also i think our generation is just like we're more we're go-getters we don't really care about the norm or what it used to what things used to be like. There's so many opportunities out there now. Um, Like for example, I've said this a bunch of times on my podcast, but my last year at Bishops, I stepped away from football Mm -hmm. um, because it was, it was essentially like, it was my turn. I was going to go East West and then get thrown into the CFL draft and all this. And 
I realized that I didn't even want to be, I didn't even want to have to make this decision. Like if a team drafts me, I don't even know if I want to go play for $60,000 a year to play special teams for a year to, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I yeah, didn't even sure. know, I didn't even know if I wanted to do that. So what I did was I kind of looked at what my school had to offer and I was like, what can I do like to better myself out of this situation? And then because Bishops was such a small school, um, you know, I know my professors and my deans of my faculty by, by name. So, you know, it's easy to set up meetings. Um, and then I got to do research. I got to be the lead tutor. I got yeah, to be a strength right. and conditioning coach. There's just so much out there for people who want yeah. to, to stay involved with sports um, post their own career. So um, one of the things that me and you wanted to talk about was just kind of stepping away from elite sports and, and, and then also decision making. Yeah. So why, why don't we just let's go come back? To... Yeah, let's come back to the stepping away from thing afterwards. But I think um, from the decision making point of view, mm-hmm. I think just setting very firm, hard goals pretty early on are really key, right? You know, um, it's very easy to drift through things. It's easy to drift through undergrad. It's easy to drift through high school and and not really set firm goals. But I think setting good high high goals for yourself early on are super important. And, um, if you, if you develop a little bit of a strategy about how you're going to accomplish those, um, it really, really focuses you and it can help it a lot. And so, you know, my goal was to be a first team all American and get into med school. And so I kind of set that goal, I think when I was in grade 11, um, and I think I realized those things were reality after talking to a couple, couple of universities in the U S that were really, really supportive. And so, um, so I think that's what allowed me to make that happen. And so a huge part of my decision tree in what school to go to in the U S was based on what schools I thought were going to support those goals. And so set some goals for yourself early on and find a place that's going to facilitate them and help, help make them, make them happen, make them a reality. And I think that's a big part of the recruiting process. I think those two things kind of tie in nicely. Like you can't just go through the recruiting process thinking solely about your sport. Like you kind of have to, um, mm-hmm. so for f- footballs, obviously every sport's a little different, but what I tell my kids that are pursuing football scholarships is you kind of have to t- spend some time, like sifting through the school's website. Obviously, like, do they have a program you're interested? In? But then if you go to the roster, if you're a running back and they have 12 running backs in their second year, yeah. that's going to be a really, that's going to be a really poor situation for you unless you're the number one recruit that year. And even still, right. Like yeah. there's, um, there's so many little nuances that. The, the coaches obviously aren't going to go over with you because they just want you in their system. And once they've got you in the system, then you're a number. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up. I almost forgot about that period of my life, but that was a really a big point of anguish for me where I remember I was really keen to go to Cornell at the time and they actually had a really good program. Um, but I felt like there was two things that really pushed me away from it. The one was that they had another goalkeeper. I was a goalkeeper, another goalkeeper coming in, that same year and that's something to consider you know like are you going to spend four years competing with someone day in and day out and potentially not playing for four years and that's that's going to kill the experience potentially you know a lot whereas other schools were kind of offering me to give me a minimum of two years kind of leeway where i'm the go-to guy on either end do you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. those were just a lot more appealing to me so yeah it's going to be very specific to the school that you want to go to the other thing um was around what kind of like the academic opportunities are there's it's pretty challenging sometimes to go to the best school or the biggest brand name school uh if you want to pursue certain things afterwards you know i I know the medical school pathway quite well i can't speak as much to business or law or anything or others but for medicine specifically you know it doesn't really matter where you go to undergrad you know the the there's no real difference between whether you 
came from Harvard or, or a state school in the U.S., it's at least applying to Canada. You know, they care more about the GPA that you get over those four years and your MCAT scores. And so if I could really try to impart some advice on people, it would be to go to the place that you feel is going to give you the best fit and the best opportunity to excel, whether that's being, you know, a big fish in a small pond and that's something that you want and you think that's going to help you versus going to the biggest school, which is fine. But um, try to find the thing that's going to allow you to excel the most as opposed to just the school that has the best kind of name, at least for medicine. For sure. And, and even aside from medicine, we can go into to the medical school process more if you'd like to. But even without medicine, I, I have I'm someone who went to multiple universities as I was navigating my life and sports and whatnot mm-hmm. and changing degrees and programs and, and whatever. But what I realized is I had been to the big universities. And then when I switched to Bishop's, like I think if Bishop's is the second smallest uh, undergrad mm-hmm. in, in, in Canada, there's like I think there's like twenty five hundred students uh, at most. Yeah, um, yeah. And and being that whatever you, we called it, the big fish and the little pond for me, it worked really well because I'm I'm outgoing. I like to talk to people, so you you make a lot of connections and a lot of people know you. I didn't yeah, I did totally. I didn't enjoy my school as much when I was sitting in engineering classes at Carleton when I was 18 in a classroom with 400 people, like I didn't enjoy learning in that context, but I really enjoyed learning with 20 people in the classroom and being able to like ask questions and, and impart like my opinions without, you know, having 400 eyes look at you. Totally. I totally agree with you. Um, I chose a smaller school too. The school, the university of new England was a small liberal arts school. And I think we had about, I don't know, 3,500, 4,000 undergrads. And well, uh, yep. I, I would I would choose it a 100 times out of 100 again. And um, I think I just had this tremendous experience where, you know, they sat down with us on day one and they said, what do you want to do? And I said those same things. I was like, I want to be an All-American athlete and I want to um, and I want to get into medical school. And they said, OK, let's make it happen. And so I had, you know, I had monthly meetings with like a mentor in medicine and um, my coaches were super involved in my education and everyone knew you at the school and they kept providing you with opportunity after opportunity. And it was just an amazing experience. And I think I would advise everyone to not shy away from maybe some of the, the smaller schools because they aren't as well known, you know, from like, you don't see them on March madness in the same capacity <laughs> that you see some of the other places. Right. But they provide yeah. you with a really good, um, really good foundation and a lot of future opportunities. So yeah, that's something I would, I would say to definitely consider really heavily. For sure. What were some of your fondest memories as an athlete um, during your time at UNE? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always remember kind of like my first, my first shutout. I think that was in like my the second game of my freshman year. Um, it was like an amazing experience, and you know, we had a couple of really good playoff rounds as well that were just just so great. And, you know, and you just look back and you remember like the parties you had afterwards, and you remember the bus rides there and from and just like being with the team is what I think I remember the most. And it's the thing I think I miss the most as well. It's just like the, the celebrating with a group of guys that are your best friends. And uh, it's something that you never really fully get to experience in the same way ever again. No, uh, I guess unless you go on to professional sports, but um, it's one of the coolest things to just basically have this incredible network throughout four years. And I think that's something that also can't be, uh, can't be undersold like it's so valuable to um to have that support network going into university and i think that's one of the reasons i was able to excel academically as well like i ended up graduating as the valedictorian of my undergrad um and just doing quite well but i think that was because of the support that i had from this this team you know and so basically like every single 
night you have a group of 30 people to send a message to and say what's going on like what are you doing and everyone's always there to support you i had this it was really weird as i mentioned we kind of talked about briefly before but leaving um leaving the university kind of environment for sports just because you're so used to just basically going to training and then connecting with people about what they're doing that night or what kind of social activities going on as opposed to sending these messages to people and just asking what's going on on the weekend it's a totally different yeah social environment you know so i, I feel think that so, was I, the best i feel very at this point like almost anti-social but it's just yeah. because i'm still kind of adjusting to like what we talked about on the phone the other day just like you're not with that group of people all the time so you actually have to go and like put in the effort and to make yeah. plans <laughs> it's just like a small little switch but yeah um, yeah it's definitely I mean, there were some other good experiences, too. I mean, like, um, I had some really, like, I think the some of the summer experiences playing in the Premier Development League were pretty amazing as well. So that was basically the way that worked is in the summers, it would kind of be a group of um, kind of like top soccer players from around the country would come to these different teams. And so I had players from, I had one guy who played on the Australian Olympic team, and I had a couple guys who played uh, in the EPL at one point and played in, like, the Liverpool Academies. And then I had a bunch of, kind of D1 All-Americans that I was playing with. And it was just, like, really nice to play on play on this team and throughout the summers and then see where everyone went. I think my last year, it was, like, 10 of the guys ended up signing really good contracts to Europe. And so uh, it's cool to now follow their careers. But um, just what you learn from them and what you discuss with their experiences growing up in these youth systems in Europe is just so intense compared to some of the experiences that we had growing up in North America. So it was really neat to get that perspective. I bet. And, and do you want to touch base on, you know, the decision you made after you um, graduated and you went on to do your master's um, to step away from elite mm-hmm. athletics? Like, what was that? How did you navigate that? What were the things that you were weighing and, and, and thinking yeah, about? Yeah, totally. I think it's a really good, important thing to talk about. So it was in my in my third year. So I had, I had spent um, two summers playing for this PDL team as – kind of a, as a backup goalkeeper and working pretty hard to try to earn a starting spot. Um, the two keepers each year above me both went on to sign contracts in Europe and they're still playing over there now. And so the third year I actually had gotten a contract offer as a starting goalkeeper. And so I think that was kind of my opportunity to either say, I'm going to, I'm going to play this kind of fourth year summer uh, as a starting keeper and then try to pursue a professional career or I'm going to instead take the time to really study for my MCAT and um, pursue some research to help me try to get into medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I just wasn't ready to give up this uh, opportunity to go to medical school. And as much as people always said, you know, you can always go back to school later on, it's true to some degree, but it's very hard to carry that trajectory, you know, after you've kind of walked away from academics and walked away from research and, um, and, and, pursued soccer and so it was a really hard decision to try to pursue um, medicine instead you know it was it was one of the things I anguished over the most in my life I think to this point Um, but I ultimately made the decision to to kind of focus on my MCAT and focus on research and stuff because um, I thought medicine was going to provide me the most kind of longevity and it was going to provide me a career that was going to last hopefully until I die you know, and it was something that I was really, really passionate about. I loved, I loved the science that I was studying and I loved um, the opportunities to still remain engaged in athletics through, through medicine. And hopefully we'll get into that a little bit as well, but there's just so many, so many ways I've been able to stay connected. And um, yeah, at the time it was really, really hard, but it was ultimately a really good decision. I think, I mean, finances had a, a part to play as well. A lot of the people that 
kind of had taken the soccer route, you know, played for a few years afterwards or maybe even five to 10 years. But then um, I didn't really like what I saw in terms of where, where they were at when they were in their kind of mid thirties and, and forties. It wasn't as inspiring as the, the physicians that I had worked with. And so I was kind of right. more, more keen to like look long-term at what I wanted my life to look like and uh, ultimately made the decision to pursue medicine. For sure. So you did your master's in neurobiology at what school? Yeah, at the University of New England. So, so you did both. You did your undergrad, your master's at in University of New England, and I then did, you did. Yeah. You just completed med school at U of T. Yeah, at the University of Toronto. Yeah. So, so do you want you want to just go over your your academic uh, career a little bit, and then kind of <laughs> yeah, what's sure. next for you, and then we'll we'll dive into some of the the research you've been doing. Yeah, sure. So, um, when I was at UNE, I basically studied a life sciences type program. Um, and I got super hooked pretty early on and with this one mentor I had who was actually a professor of mine. And I, he was doing this research in fly biology, fruit fly biology, studying chronic pain. And so I worked with him actually over the four years I was an undergrad studying chronic pain in, in the lab, in the wet lab, essentially causing fruit flies pain. <laughs> and um, I just got super excited about that. So the, the neurobiology underlying the disease of pain is just so fascinating. And so that was one of the things that I kind of did alongside my, my soccer and my um, academics as well. And that led just to an opportunity to do a one-year master's. So it was basically a research-based master's. And I used that as kind of like a year between undergrad and uh, going to medical school to basically just like pu- publish a couple of papers and refine some of my academic interests. I had at one point an interest in a PhD as well, but just kind of decided on medicine because I thought I could pursue research as well. And um, yeah, so that was a one-year process and then ended up getting into a few medical schools in Canada and a couple in the U.S. as well. I applied to both and then mm-hmm. ended up kind of choosing to come home to Toronto just because um, I thought it was the best fit at the time. Do you have anything else to add um, about the medical school process or did we did we cover it earlier? Yeah, so... Maybe, yeah, maybe we can take a little segue. and, and talk. Yeah, just because I know you're really passionate about... So if mm-hmm. you're speaking to the kids in high school right now or, or like very early in their university degrees, what would you want them to know about the med, the med school process? Yeah, it's so... like So when I was in high school, there was this real... I don't know. There was this real kind of divide between these athletic kids and this group of people who really wanted to go into medicine. And I don't even know how many people of the people who were in this like medicine labeled group actually ended up in, in medicine. But um, I, I would say like, and I just, just full disclosure, I think, <laughs> I think I got a 60 something in physics in high school. And I don't know. Oh, cause with Pete Atkinson, he's <laughs> tough. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Pete. Atkinson. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was trust me. <laughs> and uh, I think I had some other, some other sixties and seventies in there as well. Um, quite a few probably actually. And so, you know, I wasn't exactly the, the most academic per se in high school, but I was always pretty, pretty involved and I was interested, but I think the key, the big kind of switch that got flipped was I just really kind of put my mind to it and was like, I really want to go to medical school. And so I worked pretty hard in undergrad, but I guess the key take home I would have for people in high school is, you know, don't get, don't bend yourself so hard into, into either being an academic or being an athletic person you know mm-hmm. you know you can try to have, have balance in both and just because you get a couple of bad grades in high school and because you're focusing on sports or something else you know it doesn't doesn't mean you're not going to be capable in undergrad if you put your mind to it and work pretty hard i and, find that there's such a 
there's such a motivational discrepancy amongst people in high school. Like you said, there's, there's the people who are like, I'm going to go to med school. This is a possibility for me. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I can do this. And then there's people who are like, I'm not even, I don't even know what I'm doing past Friday. I'm yeah. hanging out with the guys and drinking beers on Friday. Yeah. What do you mean you're going, you know what I mean? Like there's this huge motivational discrepancy. Yeah. And I think like if we can get more kids just to believe in themselves at a younger age, that gap might close. Cause what I think motivation is, is it's just confidence in, in yourself and what you're doing. Well, um, I think that's just it. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't think it has anything. I don't think getting into medical school has anything to do with me being smart. You know, I wouldn't say I was one of the smarter. Well, you have an aptitude. Sure, I think so to a certain degree, but I do think it's more of a work ethic thing. And the people yeah. who have excelled in, in medical school with me as well, my like my good friends in medical school are doing quite well as well now, they're not they're not inherently the smartest people. You know, I think my friends that are engineers are are way smarter than my, my friends in medical school. But right. I just think we work really hard. And I think you know, you, you develop good study habits and you develop good habits in terms of developing routines when you wake up in the morning and uh, whatever else you do to kind of get your day on the right track. But those are things that are almost more valuable than this inherent kind of like air quote, uh, brilliant kind of personality type. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, but uh, you get those from sports too, right? Like those things that you were just talking about, those come from sports and then you're able to apply them to your academics in your life. I think, I think totally, what I said, yeah. yeah, I think what I said to you the other day was, you know, give it your all academically and use sports as a catalyst to get where you, to get you where you want to go. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's a good, it's an amazing stepping stone, right? And it gives you the opportunity to get into some schools in the U.S. or in Canada, maybe that you either wouldn't have because of your high school grades or, or whatever else, too. And so that's something to consider as well. You know, it gives you an opportunity to be recruited and to be and to get into some of these schools. And I know rowing, that's a really common thing. You know, there's a lot of people that come into Brockville and end up at Ivy League schools. And it's an amazing opportunity to get a really good education. So mm-hmm. absolutely, where were we? Yeah, where were we? Where were we? Where were we Why don't you? Uh, it's all good. Why don't you just start going over a little bit of the things you're published, what you're interested in, and just like how you kind of got into research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So research also has this interesting connotation, right? It has this like uh, perception of sitting in a lab and pipetting things into you know, and into Petri dishes and, and things like that. But the research can take right. on so many different domains. So I mentioned a little bit about um, some of the, the fruit fly biology work that I had done. And, and yeah, sure, that was pretty much sit in a, based in a lab setting. But over the past uh, couple of years, I've been working on research projects with the World Surf League, you know, where I'm literally going, I've been going to Hawaii to collect data on surf injuries and basically how we can improve the, the health of professional surfers around the world. And so what kind of injuries? All? Just in general? Soft tissue? Yeah, all kinds of injuries. So um, I, was just, cool. I was just recently at the, the Pipe Masters, kind of as part of the medical, medical staff there, and um, we get all kinds of injuries. So you get things ranging from, from jellyfish stings to, um, <laughs> to people basically falling from a 25-foot wave directly on their on their coccyx onto basically this rock hard reef, right? And then they get these really interesting compression vertebral fractures as well from that. And so, yeah, there's a real range, but we're working on a bunch of different initiatives um, through that work, trying to basically improve the health and safety of surfers by teaching other surfers how to, how to respond to basically acute events that happen in the water because they're the first people that are going to be involved, right? So it's really hard to say, get a doctor out in the water 
once something's already happened. So if you can have the surfers around you be the first people to respond and recognize that something's going on, then that's that's really the key to saving lives in the water. So my point that's is amazing. Yeah, my point is that like research doesn't have to be uh, <laughs> doesn't boring. always have to be boring. Yeah, it can be something you're passionate about. But it's really cool to be just basically pick up topics. As you know, I mean, you've been involved too in a, in a project you could talk about too that you were mentioning to me uh, when we were mm-hmm. chatting the other day. Um, well, I I almost got the bug i almost went and did my masters Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it ended up coming down to a decision of do i want to do another it would have probably had to be a two-year master's for me in in like the sports science field um but my issue with it was was so i did research with a really really good team of uh people with degrees like in neuroscience so you know some of our one of our PhDs, the actual, the Dean of our faculty, he was interested in like the action potentials and like the actual movement part and like where that comes from. And then we had another PhD, Xavier Roy, who will be on the podcast, hopefully in the near future. And he's more of a kind of like me, the application of training. Yeah, sure. Um, so all these different types of perspectives, we were, we're doing this project together. And there was another girl who was actually from a school in I don't remember Paris or France or somewhere and she came over and we did the research together and I did the same thing as she did I did uh, the data collection I did the the thesis all everything like the the book or the literature review like from start to finish and she ended up getting a a master's degree and I got one credit so honestly (laughs) I kind of already felt like I kind of had been exposed to it yeah sure um, I'm never going to walk around and say I have a master's degree, but I kind of, I just kind of felt like I got the experience and there wasn't too much left for me down that specific road in research. Yeah, sure. Um, be- sure. so anyways, that's why I, I didn't continue. And I had other things to decide on like my company and, and just moving on in life. But yeah, no, I think, I think Aiden, you're a really neat dude in the, in, in the sense that you're so well-rounded with, with athletics and, and, and work-life balance and in the in the academics sorry and one of the things that we were talking about is you're super interested in this might have come from the research side of um of your brain but you're so interested in like the analytics in sports and the healthcare system and what we can be doing better so do you want to dive into that right now yeah sure so yeah we were chatting about this the other day but when i when i came to when i came to the university of toronto one of the classes that we had was uh it was a wellness class that we had to take so basically we had to take this course on, you know, how to do like how to meditate. And they basically tried to promote that we do some yoga in our free time to basically prevent burnout and such. And so, um, and then I had gotten chatting with a lot of the people that I was working with in the emergency department who kept kind of pointing to these different, uh, kind of like athletes in terms of their, what they do to improve their performance from a psychological perspective and how they want to try to start translating a lot of these things into healthcare practice, but it's just never been done. And I thought that was so interesting, you know, because when I was, I think I was 12 years old and I had Brad Shaw, who was one of our, our kind of assistant coaches with the Ottawa Fury. Brad Shaw is a former NHL all-star and he played for the Ottawa, I think he was the captain of the Ottawa Senators for a few years. And he gave a bunch of 12 year olds, soccer players, this book called Mind Gym. Uh, You can look that up. You can link that one, maybe Mind Gym. And basically, it's just a book that tries to train athletes how to handle acutely stressful situations and also the chronic stress of of sports through kind of like, yeah, mental preparation and um, developing kind of like just clear, good headspace. 
whether you're using kind of like tactical breathing techniques to improve your stress in like in a penalty kick situation or whether you're kind of trying to find like cognitive flow states over over like a longer period like a career and so i i started talking with a lot of these kind of trauma team leaders in toronto and um, various emergency staff about how we can try to start implementing some of these kind of tactics from athletics into into healthcare and so that became a huge point of of my research focus over the last four years while in medical school, basically trying to train healthcare professionals and people who deal with like trauma type situations um, or basically acute care medicine, how to manage stress more effectively and a lot of the ways kind of manage it like an athlete. And so one of the kind of programs we're working on right now is looking at how we can use stress inoculation training, which is basically a military derived kind of stress training platform that has a bit of kind of cognitive behavioral therapy mixed in there as well to teach people how to manage acutely stressful situations and respond more effectively. And so that kind of led to some more discussions around looking at people reviewing their performance. And so it's also something that I know you can relate to as an athlete. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to It's, it's just something that you do on a daily basis as an athlete. You're always saying, you know, how did that perform that game? You know, the car ride home, you and your parents or you and your friends are talking about what went wrong and, it's just, it's the norm and it becomes the norm throughout your life, but it's not necessarily the norm in medicine. And so in medicine, one of the things we've been writing a lot about is how we can kind of change the paradigm from an error being this thing that is punitive and that is just this, this complete outlier to something that we need to discuss and be really open-minded about so that we make sure patient care is improved. And in athletics, that's, that's done quite readily, but it's not done as frequently in medicine. So so yeah, it was really interesting to be able to take those pieces and apply them to a medical practice. For sure. I think that's I think that's really cool. And I think, you know, what did I say earlier? You're you're someone who's trying to take what you've learned in sports and improve the healthcare system. I mean, yeah, that's the goal. So we actually just published a piece in the British Medical Journal looking at how we can kind of try to compare some of the analytics that are being used in professional sports. Like I think that's a lot of the Billy Bean type stuff in baseball and the, and the Brailsford, the Brailsford stuff with team sky and cycling, you know, they've completely revolutionized the way professional sports over the last decade has used analytics to look at and refine the way we perform and healthcare is really lagging behind for sure. Um, So we're going to switch gears a little bit now. And I want to ask you what, what are like the, biggest things that you've learned through sports and or academics that you you bring forward in in the way you carry yourself throughout life oh big question i don't make it easy on you guys (laughs) yeah so we um i was thinking a lot about this over the last i just had my interviews for residency and so I'm, i'm going into emergency medicine actually and i'm going to be going to the university of british columbia starting in July and in basically in the interviews, they always ask those kind of questions. They say, you know, where did you learn? Where did you learn how to become a leader or how do you feel about communicating in this situation? And um, how do you appraise the importance of teamwork in, in the emergency department? And I can't even, I remember when I was preparing for these questions and when I was going through my interviews, I kept trying to stop myself from just using soccer examples in every situation. But it's just amazing because these these things that you learn from a really early age, you know, like you learn the value of of commu- learning how to communicate within a team. You know, one of those things I always pick up is 
whether you learn how to communicate with different people. So I had a right back. I remember who really didn't like harsh criticism on the field. You know, he hated it. So he, you, you couldn't yell at him very much. You had to be really gentle with him. So whenever there was a corner kick, you know, I would walk over to him and say, Hey, uh, I won't say, I won't say his name. He'll know. He'll know. <laughs> He'll know it. And, you know, I'd say, Hey, like you gotta, you gotta do this or, or position yourself a little differently. Whereas a couple of my like midfielders or, or strikers just love to be yelled at. You know, it was like got them fired up, and afterwards they would they would give me a push, and they would say, you know, yell at me more. And so it was just such an easy, simple lesson that you just have to tailor communication styles within a team to each person. You know, like you can't just pick up one communication style within a trauma team either. Um, you you right. have different people who respond differently to different types of feedback, and so that incorporates pieces of leadership, pieces of communication, and there are all these things that you just pick up playing sports that um, are now going to translate really effectively. I hope, I think, into my into my career as an emergency doctor and also as a trauma team leader. Um, and they're, they're just intangibles that you learn in sports. I mean, the other things just, you learn to, I think really persevere um, through both hard hours. You know, I can't even count the number of times it was up at four in the morning for a workout. Um, but yes, often, thank God we're retired. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, it carries on into medicine, right. And right. Uh, it makes the, you know, the 36 hour call shifts and the, and the 4am and 3am mornings just kind of seem normal again. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just like one of the biggest reasons I ended up choosing emergency medicine too, as a specialty was, was that you, you just fall in love with being and working in a team environment. And it's something that just brings you so much energy and you get used to that your whole life. And for me, I really lost that for a couple of years when I was kind of had my nose in the books only, and I wasn't really playing a sport and I wasn't really interacting as much with people on a day-to-day basis. But then the opportunity to be in a, in a medical specialty where every single day, you know, you walk in and there's, there's 20 nurses and there's a bunch of other physicians and there's the neurosurgeon calling you over to look at this, the stroke or this, this brain injury. And basically there's just huge interconnected team that you work with every day. And it's just so similar in, in many ways to being on a, on a soccer team. And so I think that was one of the big drivers for that decision, but I can't even, uh, I can't even begin to explain how valuable all of the kind of early experiences I had in sports were both in interview processes and in, uh, I think what will be my medical medical career going forward. So, so yeah, it's been it's been uh, hugely valuable. Absolutely, absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to go on to do incredible, incredible things with your your life, but also in your career. Um, the last thing I have for you here, Aiden, is what's your take home message for uh, ne- the next generation of young athletes that look up to you and they want to accomplish some of the things that you've been able to do? Yeah, I would say don't silo yourself into thinking that you're only um, an athlete or only an academic and you have to pick one route or the other. Cause I think that both are incredibly complimentary and um, I don't think I would be anywhere near where I am um, today in my medical career if it weren't for sports. Uh, and I don't think my sporting career would have, uh, would have progressed as well either if it weren't for c- kind of that focus on academics and just making sure to be, you're always trying to be a smart player as well. So the two actually yeah, go, were, yeah. go hand in hand, and I think it's really important to try to balance the two of them um, for as long as you can because it creates just more opportunities in your life. I mean, I think they work so synergistically. Yeah, it's a good word. It's a perfect word. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but continue though. I'm no, sorry. no, that's a bit, that's kind of the main. What my main take home would be is just kind of I hate to say like follow your dreams, but but do so. Like you know, don't don't let people tell you you have to pick one too, too early. And I think it's the same as, and you've talked a lot of in your podcast sports, you know, you don't have to pick a sport too, too early. And 
I also don't think you have to choose between sports and um, a career, whether it's you want to have a career in law or medicine or in business, you know, you can balance the two. And I think they actually really, really benefit each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also just like people, we live in such a high, everything happens so fast. Everyone's so stressed out. Everything's so competitive. If, if I, w- if I was talking to like my 16 year old self, I would be like, keep doing the things you're doing, but also just like, go be 16 while you're 16. Yeah. Go be 16. I agree. Exactly. My kind of goal um, right now, you know, it's like, if you can, if you can say that every, every year was better than the last, I think that's good. Uh, that's a good life goal. So, 100%. I'm going to add that to my, uh, my bucket list. Yeah. Good. Me too. So, <laughs> you know what, Aiden, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm really excited to get this episode out. Um, this was season two, episode three of athletic insights. Aiden, thank you so much for your time. Of course, man. Good to, good to talk to you. Keep in touch. <laughs>